The following message is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe can be found at axechurchleander.com. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman, caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one commended you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So the message today actually was inspired from something that happened five weeks ago. And for me, it defined where I am at spiritually and relationally in this weird season of social distancing church, right? So this was the first week we were doing services here, live stream. So week one, we did it at my house. Uh, and then week two, we got back to the building. We were able to set up this little shop of a studio. Uh, and what you guys can't see is that the uh, camera is about eight feet in front of me. It was the first time that I was preaching live like that where I was going to do a longer message, but it's just weird, and I'm sure it's weird for you guys too, because we're all used to being in the same building where we can look at one another, and I can see your smiles, or I can see your doubts, or I can see your laughter. It, right now, it's just a big open building, right? And so this is the first time I'm doing it, and I'm going, trying to share Jesus' love, trying to share Jesus' heart, trying to focus as best as I can. And at the same time, Tanner and AJ are about five feet away from the camera. So if I'm looking here, five feet to the right of the camera, Tanner and AJ are having a conversation. Now, they are probably talking about how to make this service better. They are probably trying to tighten things up. But if you can try to imagine giving a message straight into a camera and five feet away, there's a conversation happening, right? There were two parallel tracks happening in my mind at the same time. There was Pastor Josh, who wanted people to know that Jesus loved them and God's grace was for them and that everything was going to be okay. And then there was Josh. And Josh wanted to murder AJ and Tanner five feet away. And all I could think about is this, this is how my career is going to end. There's going to be literally live stream me lunging over and strangling two grown men, right? Because I was so frustrated because here I am trying to focus on the message and there is this distraction that's happening, right? There, there wasn't a lot of grace for anyone in that moment, right? And I think in this season, I have gone up and down this roller coaster of how I treat other people, why I treat other people the way they do. And when there's a gap, right? When there's a gap between my expectation of what should happen and the reality of what happens, right? So in that moment, the gap was, okay, my focus is going to be here, and there was a gap that was taking my focus off, right? And then that gap, I didn't want to fill it with grace. In that gap, I filled it with all kinds of meh, 
while I'm giving a message on God's love and God's grace. It's weird, and that's the season that we're in. And part of me wanted to pick up the emotional baseball bat and be like, wow, Josh, how hypocritical of you. I mean, you're saying God loves you, but you're wrestling with this thing. You're actively struggling. And in prayer, looking at Scripture, spending time with Jesus, what we actually start to realize is that God is not asking us to pick up the emotional baseball bat. That isn't the God that we have. That isn't the God that we discover in Jesus. And so as we've been going through this series called Jesus Is, We've been focusing on different aspects of who our God is. We've talked about Jesus as King, Jesus as Messiah. And today we're going to talk about Jesus as grace embodied. Literally, grace personified came to earth. This comes from uh, John 1. He starts off his Gospels and he says this, The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, what? full of grace and truth. In fact, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Four times, John repeats over and over and over again, Jesus was full of grace. That word grace comes from the Greek word charis, and it means divine favor. It means you have favor with God, and it's not something that you had to earn. It's not something that, as Bonnie was saying, was because you were good enough or smart enough or because today you did enough, so yes, you have God's grace, but those days where you don't do enough or you get angry at someone, God says, no, 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 the the grace is still there. It's not dependent on you. This divine favor from God, this graciousness from God, this love of God It comes from him. It's not dependent on us. And so Jesus shows up, the full embodiment of grace and truth. And as I was trying to think through, what's the story that best describes that? For me, it's the woman caught in adultery, the the story that Alyssa just read. So we're going to read through that. And when you do, understand that when Jesus is here, Jesus is literally the embodiment of grace and see how that grace interacts with all the different brokenness, all the different hurt, all the different challenges that he encounters. So the story goes, at dawn, he being Jesus appeared in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. Now the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in the act of adultery, right? So at this type, uh, this place in his ministry. Jesus had been kind of coming onto the scene. More and more people were gathering to hear him. More and more people were taking part in the miracles. More and more people were wondering, is this the Messiah? Is this the guy that God is going to send to redeem us, to rescue us? But Jesus was calling out the hypocrites in the church. He was calling out the hypocrites who were in positions of power within Judaism. And they didn't like that. They didn't like being called out. And so they were getting ready to put Jesus on blast. They were going to come in and they were going to trap him. And they were going to bring in this woman caught in the act of adultery. And so the thing of that was, the reason why this was such a big trap was because if Jesus says, hey, it's okay, I'm going to forgive you, then he's breaking the Old Testament law of Moses. But if he says, no, she should be punished, 
and in fact, the law of Moses says she should be put to death, then the Romans would come in and they'd be like, hey, we're the only one who can execute. So this is literally a darned if you do, darned if you don't moment for Jesus. And so the Pharisees think they have Jesus trapped, right? Jesus looks at the woman. He goes on and he says, they made her stand there before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. But now what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. You see, the Pharisees started with an assumption that God's grace and God's truth could never have a place for this woman in its life. They started with this assumption that this broken situation, that this person was so broken, was so far off the reservation that God could never have a place for them. That grace and truth and that divine favor that she had essentially disqualified herself. And I don't know about you guys, but I can pick up that emotional baseball bat. I can look in the mirror, think through all the different ways I screwed up. And I can start to run that track in my head of, you know what, I don't deserve God's grace either. My brokenness, my decisions, my faulty thinking have disqualified me. But what we see in this story is that when grace embodies Jesus, when Jesus shows up, that's not how the story goes. At those, uh, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. See, Jesus points out the massive fallacy in their thinking. See, it wasn't that the woman was worse off than everyone else. You see, all humanity had fallen. All of us had been infected with this thing called sin, with this brokenness, with this hurt. And so it wasn't an us versus them moment when Jesus brings this woman to him. He came down because all of humanity, pastors and rabbis, all of us had fallen. All of us were broken. And so he looks out at the crowd and he reorientates their thinking he puts them all in the same boat. He says, all right, if we want to play, who gets to live and who gets to die, who's good enough, who's not good enough? Well, those of you who have never sinned, you start. And something miraculous happens. All of a sudden, empathy and the understanding of, oh, this is all of our problems. At this point, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And you can just see the tears in her eyes when she says, No one, sir. But neither do I condemn you, Jesus declares. Go and leave your life of sin. In the story of the woman caught in adultery, what we see is what happens when grace embodies the brokenness of the world. Right? Jesus doesn't play pretend with her. He doesn't say you didn't do anything wrong, but at the same time, he doesn't pick up the bat, or in this case, he doesn't pick up the stone, because he was the only one who hadn't sinned. He was the only one who was allowed to pick up the stone, but instead, what does he say? He says, I don't condemn you. 
And then he actually invites her to leave the brokenness of the world. You don't have to go back to sin anymore, he says. You are now in God's favor. You are now a part of what God is doing, and there is a new path for you. Grace enters into the story, and that grace changes everything. Jesus is grace for all humanity, but Jesus is grace for you personally as well. Again, this season has, I think, brought out some of the best in humanity, but it's brought out some of the worst of it as well, and it's probably brought out some of the best in me, and it's brought out some of the worst in me. And it's really easy for me to look at those times. It's really easy for any of us to look at those times and wonder if God's grace is still in effect and what we have in Jesus is a resounding yes. God's grace is effect when you love your neighbor and you're cheerful and you're looking at this like one giant adventure. God's grace is in effect when you're not 100% and you wake up and you're not okay with what's going on, or you get a text message and you blow back up at them, God's grace is still in effect. And in fact, what we see in Scripture is that when we are weak, when there are those gaps in our armor, God's grace fills them up. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, and he's talking about how powerful God's grace is, and he says these words, He says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. I think all of us have pled with God. Can we just end this now? Can I go back out to a restaurant? Can I just see my mom or my dad? Can we get out of this house? God, please. And what Paul says is this is how God responds to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. God replies, hey, when when you're weak and you rely on my graciousness, he goes, that's when you are strong. Paul continues, he says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It's okay when you're not strong. It's okay when you're not super cheerful or you're looking at that emotional baseball bat, or you're looking at the person in the mirror, and there is just brokenness. What you have is a God who says, my grace is sufficient for you. My divine favor, I still love you. I am still gentle towards you. I am still working for you, and I still have a plan for you. That divine favor starts with forgiveness of sins, but then it envelops our entire life into something beautiful, into something magical, into something spiritual. And in those gaps, God starts to do beautiful things. And in that broken soil, good things start to grow. And so even when we are weak, even when we're not at 100%, we still have a God who says, I am here for you, and I love you, and my divine favor is for you. And so even when we feel weak, when we lean into God, we are strong. And we're okay. And you have favor from your Father. And what's beautiful then is he says, hey guys, this divine favor, this grace, I'm going to give you opportunities to pay that forward into the neighbors in your life, into the family members of your life, into the moments where they're not at their 100% strength. I love this. It comes from 
First uh, Peter, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter writes to the church and he says, guys, part of the divine favor that God has given you are ways to serve, are gifts to be able to lean into those in your lives. He says, if any one of you speaks, they should do it as if they were speaking the very words of God. If any one of you serves, they should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. He says, guys, you want to know what grace looks like in real life? You want to know how it moves us? He says, God's grace is that he gives us gifts to serve and to love and to be gentle with other people, that they may participate in God's divine favor because Jesus is not just grace for us, he's grace for our neighbors, and we get to be agents and ambassadors of his grace leaning into areas of the world that are wrestling with who God is or what's happening, we get to fill in those gaps with the gifts and the opportunities that he's placed before us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.